thank you all for being here this morning. I'm really excited to get to teach John chapter 3. We're going to start out with the first part of Nicodemus. If we go to my PowerPoint, please. Thank you all. Now, John chapter 3 is one of the most famous passages in the New Testament in every Baptist church. Because it's got that verse that so many people have memorized, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And this is a verse that, that a lot of people, I dare say over half of this room, could quote this verse. And so we know this gospel quite well. But what I would like us to do is to look at this in a little bit different framework. I'm not going to take away from the truth of it, but I want to put it within a larger context of John. We've talked about staying in the flow of John in the last six lessons I've taught on it. This is lesson number seven. In this lesson, I want to look at it from another perspective. John's gospel is a gospel of journeys. John does a marvelous job of setting Jesus and others on multiple journeys, trips. It's like a road trip gospel. So for example, if you want to look at Jesus and his disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you want to count how many times Jesus and his disciples go to Jerusalem, you remember, they're way up north in Galilee, and, and their cars were their feet. And so they didn't have, it wasn't easy just to go down to Jerusalem. So, they, and not to mention the fact they had to go around Samaria to get there, unless they wanted to cut through with the Samaritans. So it was an arduous journey, a difficult journey, but it was one that the other gospels write about only one time for Jesus and his disciples. And I say that because, all right, Mary goes and does the sacrifice for Jesus after he's born a few days later. So you've got that added. And then they lose Jesus at the temple at age 12. You got that added. But adult Jesus in his ministry, gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one time each. That's crucifixion. Not so John. John's got him going to Jerusalem and records three different trips that he made to Jerusalem. John's got Jesus taking all of these other little trips and journeys that aren't in the other Gospels. You've got him uh, going through Samaria on one of these trips and, and, and encountering the woman of Samaria at the, the well, the woman at the well. You've got him uh, going to little towns. He starts out in Cana, a little town, at a Jewish wedding, by the way. Have you ever been to a Jewish wedding? That's a chuppah. That's the, 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 the chuppah for the Jewish wedding. Unless they do the wedding in Hawaii. And then they have the hula chuppah. <laughs> hula chuppah. It's going to help you remember chuppah. Okay, so John has got these journeys built in. And within that framework, I want to look at today's passage. But I want to see it as three different journeys. I want us to see within the, the story of Nicodemus a journey from night into light. I want us to see in the story of Nicodemus... An empowering journey. And I want us to see in the story of Nicodemus an expectant journey. And one of the reasons I want to focus on it this way is because all of us are in our own journey. Right now in your life, you are on a journey that, that is your walk with God or your walk away from God or your walk toward God, whatever it may be. Right now you're on a journey that may be early in your life. You may be in the middle of your life. You may be uh, uh, toward the end of your life. But we're still all on a journey together. And today's journey in your life is going to have certain things in front of you. It has certain things in front of me. 
And I think we can learn how to better walk our journey if we look at today's stories through three different journeys. So let's do that. And we'll start simply by looking at John chapter 3 together, uh, the first 21 verses anyway. So if we go to the IPVO, which is like an Elmo in the 21st century, um, nothing I don't want to slam Elmo, but love the IPVO. Can you tell they gave it to us for free? No, I, I, I would say it even if they didn't. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And we want to pause just for a moment and, and, and make sure we're in the flow of this. The Pharisees were students of the word. The Old Testament, as we call it, the Tanakh, was a collection of Jewish scriptures that were divided into three buckets. Some divided them into two at the time of Jesus. But the Pharisees were those people who were students of those scrolls. They knew their Bible. They were, as a group, charged with and, and, and zealous for not only knowing the Bible, but seeing that Israel knew it. Seeing that, 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 that the Jews of Jesus' day knew and followed the Scriptures. And so within the framework of that, here's a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. Now, that's a composite of two Greek words. There was a Jewish name, Nicodemon. But, but this is two Greek words that we're going to look at here. Let's see how we get it into this. So the first one is uh, Nike. And Nike is just the Greek word for the victor, the winning, the champion. And then the next word is the Greek word demos. And demos is the people. So if you were reading this in Greek the way John wrote it and you came to Nicodemus' name, you would say, ah, here's a champion of the people. Here is every man who's a winner, not a loser. So here comes the champion of the people, Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. John throws that in there. That means he's probably a member of the Sanhedrin. That's 70 people who oversaw the, the Jewish aspects of Jewish rule that the Romans allowed them to do. So this man comes to Jesus by night. And he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs you do unless God's with them. Now Jesus answers him and says, truly, truly, I say to you. I want to pause for a minute because I have a pet peeve I need to tell you about. One of my pet peeves is when people say to me, okay, I want to tell you the truth. Because my immediate thought is, every other conversation we've had where you've not said that, were you lying to me? Why do you feel compelled to tell me that the following is going to be the truth? Do not think that's what Jesus is doing there if you share my pet peeve. Truly, truly, I say to you, as opposed to the times I just say things. No. Truly, truly is the way the English Standard Version is translating the Greek of an Aramaic expression. Amen, amen. We get a word straight from it. Amen. Amen is an expression of, of not only uh, uh, of, of God's will, but also an expression of solemnity. It, it means this is serious. This, this, is, this is for real. This, this is important. And so within that phraseology, Jesus isn't saying, I want to tell you something true as opposed to other things where I don't use that. 
Jesus is saying, focus on this. This is very important. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again. Let's get it back up there. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus says to him, okay, how can someone be born when he's old? I mean, does he enter a second time into his mother's womb to get born? And Jesus says, truly, truly, amen, amen. Pay attention. This is serious. This I, I'm telling you carefully. Unless one is born of the wa- of water and spirit, he cannot either the, enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now there's another little pun there, not only in John's Greek, but also in Jesus's Hebrew. And that pun is off of this word spirit and wind. The wind blows where it wishes. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So it is everyone born of the Spirit. Each of those words, we'll give them an orange. Each of those words are the same word in the Greek. They're the same word in the Hebrew. So in the Greek, you have this word, panuma. P, let's get it there. Panuma, and panuma, if we were writing it in English, the letters would be P-N-E-U-M-A. Panuma. Panuma means wind, hence a pneumatic drill is a drill that's driven by air. Pneumonia is ammonia of the pneumo, of the, of the breath, because this is wind, but it's also spirit and breath. All in one word. The Hebrew word, ruach, is the same. It is all, uh, uh, this whole, in English we would write ruach, It's the same, wind, spirit. So Jesus is making a pun here, and John's keeping it going in the Greek. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the wind or of the spirit is wind or spirit or breath. Don't marvel, I said you must be born again. The wind and the spirit blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. By the way, Jesus is speaking uh, cosmologically here to a different people than us. We think of wind as something that's atmospherically driven. Back in that day, Jesus is talking to a people who thought that the wind, they, they didn't understand atmosphere. They didn't understand the science of of, of movements of, of air mass. I mean, look, it looks invisible here. You don't see anything. Who's to know that there's actually all of this oxygen and carbon dioxide and other things in this room? We know that there are atoms in this space. But the people Jesus is talking to, they didn't understand that. They just knew that there are sometimes there's this wind that shows up, which is invisible. You can hear it, but you don't see anything. And it just shows up some days and, and then it, it leaves. And so that was a real quizzical thing for them. They didn't have answers for that. And, and, and they thought of ideas. They thought, well, there's a storehouse up in the heavens where God keeps the winds and periodically he sends them down here. 
If they lived in Lubbock, they would have understood the wind blows all the time. But they didn't. So they didn't understand that. So Jesus is talking within their limited vision. And Jesus says to them, the wind blows wherever it wishes. The spirit goes wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. And that's the way it is with the spirit, being born of the spirit. Now, then the victor of the people, the champion of the people, Nicodemus, says to him, how can this be? Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, solemnly, carefully, deliberately, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we've seen. But you don't receive our testimony. I've told you earthly things and you don't believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into the heaven except he who descended from heaven, the the Son of Man. Jesus is one of his favorite praises for himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Then the verse we all know. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. By the way, huge word there. And uh, given time, we'll look at it in detail later on. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever doesn't believe in him, they're condemned already. He didn't need to come condemn the world. The world's already condemned. Everybody's going to hell. Absent the work of Jesus. He can come to to earth to send people to hell. They're already going. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, doesn't come to the light, because then people can see they're doing wicked things. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that people can see that they're carrying out these works. That's the story. You got the story? All right, now we're going to dig deeper, but let's do it with the journeys. So the first journey that we want to look at is the journey from night to light. If you listened carefully, you saw what John said, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Now he adds that. Why? Well, there are about four different views that scholars put out there. Let me tell you the three I don't embrace before I tell you before I try to sell you on mine (laughs) one view is well going to Jesus was not a real popular thing with the Pharisees so he goes at night so no one sees him he's like sneaking one view Eh, possible I mean I, I Let's make it real clear. I was not there. That's possible. Second view. There are rabbinic teachings that good students of the Torah study the law at night. You work during the day. So at night is when you study the law. Now, at night, we tend to binge watch tv they did not have those then remember you couldn't be doing your emails at night it's night time there are only so many things left and what holy people would do is study the torah at night study the scriptures so it would be a logical time if if nicodemus is a serious student to come to jesus to discuss the scriptures That's done at night. So that's a second viewpoint. 
Maybe. I, 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 again, I wasn't there. Third viewpoint. This is a, a one that says, well, John's a good writer and he wants to captivate attention. And so he kind of put it in there to give some ambiance to the story. So that you just sort of feel the story. You know, like, it was a dark and stormy night when Nicodemus came out. You know, and he, and he, he just, it's just trying to be a good writer. I don't know. But I got another idea. A, I think he came at night, made it easy. But B, Jesus and John were working a metaphor here. See, night within the framework of John is not simply when the sun is down. Night is a metaphor and darkness is a metaphor for things that are evil, wicked, things that you don't understand, things that, that, that are not clear. And so you've got this passage because because Nicodemus is coming to Jesus not only unclean, in spite of how good a student of the word he may or may not have been, he's got to have his sins washed, but he's also coming to Jesus in the ignorance of night. He doesn't understand. He has not been enlightened. And so you see it not only here, but that's why John repeats it again but puts it in a past tense. In John 19.39, in, in John 19.39, you'll see this is after Jesus has been crucified. All of his apostles, they, they're like nowhere to be found. You know, his apostles are like, whoosh, amscray. I mean, Peter, bless his heart, I don't know the guy. So after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. See, no trouble saying secretly when John wants to. Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gives him permission. So he comes and he takes it away. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night. Earlier, he'd been in the dark. Earlier, he didn't have understanding. He comes with Joseph of Arimathea, hauling 75 pounds of burial spices. And they take the body of Jesus, they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews and they placed him in a garden. This Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. You know, Jesus is, is the son of God. I wonder if Jesus had an urge to say, buddy, you may not be getting this right now. But you're going to be the one who buries me. But instead, Jesus just engages him. But he came at night, at the time he was in the darkness of, of, of ignorance and misunderstanding. And, and, and John uses this metaphor throughout. So we have, for example, in John 9, 4 through 5, Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can do the works of God. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So we're going to be doing the works of God. You've got the same thing also in John eleven ten. Jesus said, if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. Now, Jesus is not giving ambulatory instructions for the unawares. This is not Jesus saying, hey, I understand you've been living on planet Earth for a long time, but let me explain something to you. You must be very careful when you walk at night because you can trip. No, Jesus is talking here about, in, a, in metaphorical language, about what happens 
when we walk in the darkness of ignorance, in the darkness of evil, in the darkness of, of, of deception, in the darkness of sin. And John's working this metaphor. And it, it's one that, that, that he does. And, and that's what we've got here. And we kind of get a glimpse of that if we look at the John 3.19 passage. Where Jesus at the end is explaining to him. He says, look, if you walk in the light, then, then you get the light of God. If you don't, if you walk in the darkness, then you're doing the evil deeds you don't want anybody to see. So you need to walk in the light. Uh, I was talking about, I was teaching this at the Jersey Village campus this morning. And I had a chance to talk about this from a brain perspective. So, uh, um, your brain has got these magnificent neural cells. And these neural cells have these marvelous abilities to connect to other neural cells. Now the connections, these synapses, are chemical. And there are chemicals that connect and this becomes thought. And more than thought, but, but your thoughts are here. Now somewhere in the midst of your brain doing all of this, your brain also produces chemicals that make you happy that make you sad, that make you angry, that cause you to fight, that cause you to flight, that gives you amorous feelings, all sorts of chemicals that in your brain come about. And what can happen with us and our brains is we will form synapses, we'll form, these are memories we will form memories that are associated with these chemical releases. This is one reason why sometimes you might smell something and it will bring back memories associated with that smell and sometimes even feelings are associated with it. You'll hear a song. It can change your mood because of the way it figures within your brain. Now, as a result of this, we have brains, and the scientists would tell you if we had a neurophysicist up here, the neurophysicist would be able to explain to us, whoops, the neurophysicist would be able to explain to us that we have a tendency to make memories, to make these passageways that cause chemically induced feelings on different ways. You, 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 look, this is comfort food. I remember eating this food triggers in my brain the recognition that I feel better. I remember, in, and, and, and there are ways that our brains work really, really well. But this is also ways where our brain gets trapped in bad habits and bad things. And so we, we got brains and if we're not careful, we'll feed our brains garbage and that garbage will result in us feeling good or right. And then when we want to feel that good right again, we'll seek out the garbage. This is one way drugs can chemically alter the way our brains work. This is one way that, that uh, 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 all sorts of experiences of life can drive us. What Jesus is, is instructing us to do goes hand in hand with what Paul writes about of God renewing our minds. That there is a physical way that God wants to rewire the way you and I think. But part of his rewiring the way we think is us making choices about living in the light and doing the right thing. So that those neural connections and those synapses that give us satisfaction and fulfillment and joy are from good things, not from garbage, fake things. 
And we've got choices we get to make there. We can choose to walk in the light and do the good things and let God bless us in that and we'll form new synapses and, and thought channels and memories. Or we can choose to walk in the garbage and get stuck in it. Those are real choices on our journey. This was a choice for Nicodemus in his journey in a major way. Look, compare the journeys that we've got. Two of them here. Nicodemus comes by night and Jesus calls him into the light to change who he is, to change how he lives, to change his walk with God, to be born again. And yet we have in contrast in the Gospel of John, Judas, who's hanging around with Jesus who's walking among the light of the world's influence. And yet, we read in John 13 that after the Lord's Supper, Judas took the morsel from Jesus and Satan enters him. He immediately goes out. Where does John tell us he goes? Into the night. See, Judas left the light and went into the night. And so in this gospel of journeys, one of the journeys is one, it's a journey from night to light. That's the journey we want to make. Now you might be saying, I I don't know how to do this. That's okay. This is an empowering journey. This is a journey you get to do. There's a Greek word that you, if you read Greek past your first semester, you're going to have this word down. But we need this word anyway, because if you read this passage in Greek, you certainly would know it before you're done. Here's the word. It is dunamai. The U in Greek, if it's between two consonants, you write it in English as Y. But it's still pronounced dunamai. Dunamai is, you look at it, we get the word dynamite from it. But it doesn't really mean dynamite. What dunamai means is it's an ability or a capability to do something. I would love to bench press 300 pounds, coach. I do not have the dynamite it takes to do it. I do not have the ability or capability at this point in my life. You take a zero off, I can bench press 30 pounds all day long. But that extra zero is a real tough pill for me. What are you capable of doing? What are you able to do? That word is over and over. And the message as that word is repeatedly used here is this. What you must do, you can do through God. Those things that you must do, you can do. You need to walk in the light. Don't say, oh, I can't do that. It sounded really good when Mark said it, but I can't. Yes, That which you must do, you can do through God. Go back and look at the passage again. John 3. Nicodemus. Starts out. Now we're going to take, let's go green. Green. Okay, we're going to go green. I'm feeling real green today. Not with envy, with recycling. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God because no one dunamai, no one can, no one is capable, no one is able to do these things you do unless God's with him. So we know you come from God because otherwise you wouldn't be capable of doing these things. It's just not built into you. And Jesus answers and says to him, hey, listen carefully. I want to tell you something. Unless one is born again, one doesn't have the ability. One is not capable. Dunamai. One doesn't. You say, I can't do these things unless I'm from God because nobody's capable of doing it. Let me tell you something. You're not capable of even seeing the kingdom of God. Not not being in it, you're not even capable of seeing it. Unless you're born again. 
Nicodemus says, now how can anyone be capable? How can anyone have dunamai ability to be born when he's old? Is he going to enter a second time into his mother's womb? Can he do that? Is someone suddenly capable or able, dunamai? You see how this word's just getting used over and over in this interchange? Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless he's born of water and spirit, no, nah, he cannot. He doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have the capability to enter the kingdom of God. Don't marvel that I say to you this has to be done. This is the way it is. Well, Nicodemus then says to him, how can these things be? How is this possible? How is any of this stuff you're talking about that's necessary possible? And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Let me show you my slide on this. This is pretty good. There's a real, if we go to the PowerPoint, there's a real contrast in what Jesus is saying here. If you remember verse 2, in verse 2, Nick said to Jesus, we know you are a teacher from God. But Jesus is more than a teacher. Jesus is God. So in verse 10, Jesus turns it on its head and Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're a teacher from Israel, but you listen to what we know. You think you know I'm a teacher from God. I, you are a teacher from Israel, but you listen to what we know because these are things we know. We know you can be born again. We know you can be born from above. Say, born again, born from above, those are two different things. Yes, they are. If you look at your text, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, hold it, hold it, hold it, unless one is born again. See that little footnote one? Beep, 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 one, or from above. The Greek is purposefully ambiguous. It can mean again, both again, and from above. It means both. We go back to the PowerPoint. This is a Greek word, anathen. Anathen can mean from above. So in like Matthew 27 uh, uh, 51, where the curtain of the temple is torn as Jesus dies on the cross. It's torn from the top to the bottom, from above, anathen. Or you can go to Galatians 4, 9, where Paul uses anathen, and he's using it in the sense of again. And Jesus being crucified again. And you're saying, well, that's a stupid language. I mean, what bozo language? I thought Greek was this like major accomplishment in humanity. What bozo language uses the same word with two entirely different meanings? Because that just shouldn't exist in a language. And this is without me telling you to crane your neck so that you can see it. I mean, every language does that. So what we need to do is we need to figure out what is meant there. Is it born again, a second time, like Nicodemus was taking it? Do you reclimb into your mother's womb? Does it mean born from above? Which seems to be an indication of what Jesus is meaning. But in fact, it's both. John's not an idiot. He's writing great theology, and great literature. And it's a pun. I love William Barclay's translation. Do you know what he translated? Unless one is reborn from above. He gets both of them in there. Because that's what's there. Now we can talk about being born again 
Or we could talk about being born from above. But in the process of talking about it, I fear we may lose some of what Jesus is teaching us here. Because we're so carefully focused on wanting that experience of being born again. Because it's, it's crucial, Jesus says. So we're so wanting the experience that we fail to understand some of the significance of what's being taught here. There is a tenderness that's being taught here. If you did not have a good earthly father, then your neural synapses, when you hear that word father, don't send off really good chemicals in your brain that make you want to smile. And you may have trouble understanding some of the tenderness of God as a father because it's associated in your brain with terror, with bad stuff. And for that, I'm sorry, and I pray for God to renew your minds. And part of that can be focusing on a heavenly father who is not like that earthly father you had. But if you had a good earthly father, then perhaps there are seeds of tenderness in your mind when you think about fathering. Certainly if you try to be a good earthly father. The idea of us being born from above means God as our Father who brings us forth into this new life of spirit. And it's one that Nicodemus should have plugged into. It's one where God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my firstborn son. God claimed a fathering role to Israel. When Moses sings his song at the end of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 32, he says, is this, do you, is this how you're going to repay the Lord? You foolish and senseless people. Is not he your father? Who created you? Who made you? Who established you? Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Pater, Hamon, our Father. Hoentoisurinois, who is in the heavens. Our Father. His Spirit cries out within us, Abba, Father. This is the, we are born anew. He is our Father. One of my favorite passages because it captures the tenderness of this in a prophetic voice that should have clicked into his head comes from Hosea chapter 11. And, and Joel Chernoff, uh, uh, who, who sang under the name Lamb, uh, this album came out, I think, my senior year of high school, but I loved this song. Because it captures the tenderness of God as Father. So we're going to see if we can make this play um, here on the computer holding the mic up. So let's give it a go. All right. Can we get more volume? You can't hear it, can you? All right, we're going to start it again. You got more volume? Ready? I love this song because I think it does a marvelous job of capturing the tenderness of Hosea 11 where God is saying, you know, I've called you to be my son. I want you to be born of me. And there's going to be where I am your father. And this isn't something that's possible from humans. You can't climb back inside your mother's womb. But you can be born from above. God can do what humans can't. Everything that's not capable, not capable, not capable is capable by God. And that's our journey. 
Our journey is into the hands and the arms of a loving father who is capable, who bends down and lovingly feeds us, who tenderly cares for us. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. This isn't a, hey, change religion, buddy. This is a, you don't understand. If you're not in a relationship with God, if you're not in this tender walk with God, you're not going to see the kingdom. You're not going to be a part. You, this, is, this is something that God is going to work in you. And so trying to figure that out. And so they start trying to work on that. And how do we do it? Well, this is it. This is an empowering journey. But it's one that's also an expectant journey because we know it comes through the walk with Jesus and the work of Jesus. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, Jesus says, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's kind of strange. Jesus must mean by water, talking about a physical birth because your mother's water broke and you, uh, you know, came into this world and were born and then Spirit is the second birth. Ah, posh. Jesus isn't talking about that. Well, some people say, well, he's talking about the waters of baptism. Not posh. Jesus is not telling Nicodemus, go get baptized. Jesus is using an Old Testament concept that was well known in the Old Testament, but well known in the New Testament times as well. Ezekiel 36 is a chapter that talks about how God's going to come again. God is going to take his people and restore his people. And I'm running late, but let's just, you've got to see it to understand this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. God is going to come back to his people in in the messianic age, in the day of Jesus. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I'll cleanse you. And I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit I'm going to put within you. This is the promise. God's going to sprinkle clean with water. You're going to be cleansed by God. God doesn't just born you anew in the sense of like, hey, okay, let's just play a word game. You're new. No, your sins are truly forgiven. You've been cleansed. And a new spirit is in you, a spirit of life. And the same metaphor is used in Isaiah, if we go back to the PowerPoint, please. The same metaphor is used in Isaiah 44, 3. The same metaphor is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls for the community at Qumran who had put themselves off by themselves. They said, if you want to live here, you need to know the following. God's going to purify every deed of man with his truth. That he'll refine for himself the human frame by rooting out all spirit of falsehood from the bounds of his flesh, cleanse him of wicked deeds with the spirit of holiness, like purifying waters, he'll shed upon him the spirit of truth. This is language. This is a concept that Nicodemus knew. It's one that was talked about. And, 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 and he's still trying to grasp it. And that's when Jesus says, well, look, buddy, go back into numbers and remember how when the people were dying... Moses had to lift up a bronze serpent. In the same way, that's where your cleansing is going to come from. This is the cleansing water. This is what the Spirit's coming from. It's going to come from the Son of Man being lifted up so that you believe you put your faith in Him. And when you do, you have this eternal life. And that's the dialogue that's going on here. And so this is really, really clear and it's, it's an expectant journey. It is a journey that we go on knowing Jesus has paved the way. He has done the necessary work to cleanse us, to wash us clean, and to put a new spirit within us. So now what we do is we journey. We, we leave the night. We walk in the light. We live a life in the light, empowered by God, who has done what needs to be done so that we can be His eternally in a tender, loving, nurturing relationship with God, our Father. Got it? That's Nicodemus. Here are your points from home. Number one, I want to journey into the light. You know, whoever does what's true comes to the light. You and I have choices today. We're not puppets. 
You and I have choices today. We can choose whether or not to gossip about people. We can choose whether or not to say encouraging build-up things to people. We can choose whether or not to watch garbage on the internet. We can choose whether or not to eat garbage at the dinner table. We can choose whether or not to take our time and energy and do something constructive for God. We can choose what we feed our minds, we can choose what we feed our bodies, and we can choose what we feed those we interact with. Those are our choices. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm not saying we're not going to mess up. I'm not saying it's going to take some extreme work by God to rewire our brains. But I'm saying that that's what we're called to do. And we need to make those choices deliberately. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Amen, amen. Live deliberately. Not just in the old habits. Because we are a new creation. And so we can ride this journey that we're on with God's power. How can these things be? I'm not capable. I can't do. You're right. But God can. Through you. But that doesn't mean that we don't do it with him. So we bring our efforts to bear. And in the process of all of this, we can journey expectantly because we can know we've been washed clean. We've been born anew. We have a tender father who lovingly bends down to feed us. Who called us forth and made us his daughters and his sons. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. Let me bless you in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do proclaim blessing upon your people. It is your blessing, Father, your light, your ability, your power. We worship you, but we also lovingly embrace you as your children. Abba, Father, thank you for this life. Help us to live deliberately for you in the light. Through our Lord Jesus. Amen.